Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For the first time in five years, my band Holy Sons is going to come out to the West Coast and play six shows to support the new record on Partisan Records called In the Garden. We got one show first in Brooklyn this Thursday night at Union Pool with Mary Lattimore. Then we fly straight down to Los Angeles and play a club called Union on October 22nd. October 23rd, we go to San Diego and play The Hideout. October 24th, we go to Oakland and play The Starline Ballroom. October 25th, we go to San Francisco and play The Hemlock Tavern. October 27th, we play Seattle at Barboza. And October 28th, we play Portland, Oregon at Mississippi Studios. All of these dates are with the band Nurses. listening to Drifter Sympathy on Feral Audio. Go to feralaudio.com and click Shop Amazon to shop through their Amazon portal. Proceeds support this and other Feral Audio podcasts. a book called Many Years From Now about when the Beatles get to London and are just starting their cultural reign. It's so interesting to think of them as young kids that aren't necessarily leading the movement in their own minds. Like, they're just getting educated themselves and Paul McCartney especially is running around town trying to soak up all the avant-garde aspects he can and learn everything he can while John Lennon is living out of town never leaves the house kind of rotting away in an anxiety-ridden domestic hell with his wife and very unhappy it's where the song Help came from it's where songs like I'm a Loser came from Paul McCartney goes and meets Bertrand Russell and has lunch with him And Bertrand Russell tells him that the Vietnam War is bad. And so he goes back to the Beatles and explains, I heard this idea that the Vietnam War is bad. 
He's just going around to the older heads and trying to pick up any information he can use. McCartney helps fund this independent bookstore that becomes the ground floor of the bohemian counterculture for a while and some junky avant-garde artists approach him and say there's these new kinds of audio collage uh, cut up methods we can use to make records and experiments with if we outfit a studio so mccartney goes to ringo who had recently bought a building and rents out a little apartment for them to experiment with and hires some designers and the designers shag it out and like make it this crazy 60s bachelor pad he walks in he's like what the hell have they done with this and the junkies never even show up so what happens is that mccartney ends up going there to write during the day and he's working on eleanor rigby and the only other artist that ends up using this recording studio happens to be William Burroughs. So William Burroughs and Paul McCartney would pass each other and sit down on the couch together and William Burroughs would overhear McCartney working on Eleanor Rigby in this apartment. And eventually they just scrapped the apartment because no one's really using it and Paul McCartney just needs a couch to sit on. He doesn't need all the shit to make the ideas come. So in this climate where almost anything can suddenly be done and put on the radio in their paradigm they are granted this insane freedom and i think it's this moment in british culture that's so fascinating and we can kind of start with as a diving board today and and listen to the other bands that are realizing this freedom too at the same time and make no mistake i mean the beatles are watching all the other bands too so they are fascinated with what could be done and what everybody else is is about to invent simultaneously Come 
is an unknown band called the Kubas from the UK that only released that as a B-side in Denmark, written by Bert Janch. So it's kind of a miracle that that's even available. These songs take at least a few listens before they really inject their venom into you, but before we go back to any straight-ahead pop era stuff, um, this is Jade Warrior, a band that record store people probably scoff at because nobody seems to really want their records, so they sit around for years in the corner. Maybe because all of them sound really different I'm not really sure Or maybe New Age Prague wasn't cool for a long time But it's back Jade Warrior may have 
deserved a little more respect, but one of the guys, interestingly enough, came out of the ashes of this other obscure band called July that reissue freaks might be aware of. They had one great moment and then melted away in 1968. similar connection there was a band called Marmalade that was really famous for a moment for doing this song Reflections of My Life they didn't do much psychedelic stuff, it was kind of more of soul based British vibe, uh, the singer Dean Ford had a pretty amazing range they did dip into the psych vibe once and here's that track appropriately called Kaleidoscope. (laughs) 
back in 65, Dean Ford had a different band called the Gaylords. And this is their final single, That Lonely Feeling. It's kind of the ultimate distillation of the Meet the Beatles era perfect cavern club sound with for like 20 years I was obsessed with the song No Reply by the Beatles and it's the way their voices soar into the reverb and the acoustic guitars are sort of distorting so this song kind of provides me with an extended high of mid-60s British groups with what happened to them in the 70s. Here is The Pretty Things with Defecting Grey, an early B-side. Probably easily the most bizarre arrangement that they ever did. Thank you. 
Confusion in the rest of their catalog, considering they never did anything like that again, except for a couple songs on SF Sorrow. But later in the 70s, they ease into some sort of Vicodin dad rock thing that is quite satisfying.
this particular song, after it got inside me, I would wake up with this song for, it seemed like months, every morning. I don't know why it, it just haunted me. It's just something about the complexity of how knowing the chord changes and the musicology of the song is coupled with the era it was recorded and the dexterity of the people expressing it. It just seems unreal. Just like not fucking real, man.
There's that part in the Beefheart documentary where he says, I live in the desert, and it's so subtle that I can't even perceive it. The changes happen so slow that I can't even see them. And you'll see, like, you listen to something like that. At first, it's nothing. It's boring. And then after a while, you're like, it's a very quiet poison, and it'll fuck with you. It's so good. Mississippi Records probably uh, 13 years ago or something and Eric the owner was playing that song and I just thought how do I not know what this is and I went home couldn't stop thinking about it and eBayed it and I noticed something about the name of the seller I don't know what it was but I theorized that it was Bob Fay, the drummer of Sebado, who played on a lot of songs that changed my life. And it was, which was odd because Eric Gaffney had just covered the Trogs around that time too and had stayed at my house. 
and I just thought God was telling me to get into the drugs, and I eventually covered one of their songs, and anyway, it was just kind of sent from above, but if you talk to any musician, anytime they've ever gotten off stage, they always complain about something that went wrong. A lot of my favorite musicians are obsessed with the mistakes they made on my favorite records. So, as a textbook example, go to the beginning of that last Trog song and listen to the way the guitarist lurches in over the drums. Listen to the way he completely misjudges the timing and is way too fast. The more you focus in on it, it can fuck with your understanding of what is classic music, you know? Most people will tell you all the time, they're like, oh, it's perfect, it's flawed, it's perfect, you know, whatever. There's a lot of flaws, yeah, that that are considered classic, but that doesn't mean the person that did it, you know, has been able to make peace with that in any way. Um, They probably wished it was different, and the circumstances of the situation could have been god-awful, like wildly awful. You don't know. Anyway, I think it's an interesting study in the intro of a song when people just can't hear themselves, and yet the viciousness of the intent really sails through. But, you know, it's, it's not a simple situation.
fans of the first King Crimson record that's like imagining if Robert Fripp had just stayed home and four-tracked in some sort of weird Sid Barrett mode that's from their home recordings of the Giles Giles and Fripp record continuing our theme let's turn back to the early part of Donovan's career that helped carve out what the sensitive songwriter looked and sounded like for a new fleet of bohemians. The days of wine and roses are distant days for me. I dream of the last and the next affair and of girls I'll never see And here I sit The retired writer in the sun The retired writer in the sun
sun of the morning Lemon circles swim in the tea Fishing for time with a wishing line And throwing it back in the sea assuming his manager told him he had to get current or something to that effect because all of a sudden he steps out with this new T-Rex informed sound Just 
close out the episode I never really listened to the nice kind of never really spent a lot of time with that initial nuggets craze in 1969 Keith Emerson left the nice to form ELP I mean these are bands that always just seemed kind of obnoxious to me but uh, the bass player, Lee Jackson, reappeared with a new band called Jackson Heights that is definitely lost to the back of the bends. He reworked one of the original nice songs, The Cry of Eugene, on this Jackson Heights record. And he was clearly a pretty clever guy. He produced the whole record himself and played a lot of it. There's something distinctly British and interesting about these melodies. It's a nice, uh, laconic way to go out.